Welcome to another episode of the Impro Pod podcast. My guest today is Oscar Lindsay Turner, ecological entrepreneur and podcaster. Hi, Oscar. Hello. So, what's your relationship with improvisation? Good question. I improvise through life quite a lot. I've done some comedy improv and I've improvised with musicians with poetry. Yeah, quite a broad relationship. Nice. So they would obviously play some sort of soundtrack and you <laughs> improvise over it. Yeah, exactly. Words, freestyle poetry or rapping or with a bunch of other poets. Yeah. So I'm going to play a piece of music and I want you to tell me what that makes you think of. Okay. So anything that comes to mind and kind of thoughts, emotions. All right. I'm excited. And it's completely made up. I haven't composed it. I'm just improvising it. Okay. It started out and it made me think of some kind of judgment. It was the spacing of the notes that had this kind of regular, repetitive spacing. And it made me think somehow of maybe a preacher doing a speech to repent. And then it turned really beautiful. And all of that dissolved. It reminded me of the Titanic (laughs) and love. And then towards the end, it went back to the church and it went through the building. And it was very much about the building and how the structure of the building and that classic religious architecture, an old English church with that cold stone feeling with the pillars leading up, connecting to the roof, that kind of domed effect where you often had imprints and murals and stuff like that on it. Or maybe it reminded me of weddings in some sense. And then that tied me back to the church. I recently attended my brother's wedding and it was in an old church, the ones I'm describing, but a bit warmer. And it's just timeless when you step into a church, isn't it? Because there's all the ceremony and the way that you should behave, the way you should be in your head, even though everyone has probably a slightly different version of that. There was something about the piece that seemed quite archaic to me. How would you describe the piece that you did from a technical point of view? This is quite a tricky thing to do because when I'm in the moment, mm. I'm not analysing it or thinking right. about it at all. Yeah, sure. I just know there was a lot of wide kind of fifth shapes to begin with. And then there was a change of scene and that became more delicate, fragile. And then I kind of moved up the piano a bit, but I can't really describe it. Yeah. I can't really remember it that well. I've switched off that part of my brain. 
If you're playing something live, for example, and you've got to remember what your hands are doing and the different shapes, and that's a very much different process to improvising from nothing. Yeah, for sure. A whole different part of your brain lights up when it's improvising, I believe. But it's interesting, it went from that structure to more delicate. And that's when my mind drifted off into the Titanic for some reason. I'd like you to tell me a story and I'm going to then break it down into sections. I'm going to improvise a soundtrack to the story. Okay, nice. I guess today I'd like to talk about the topic of death and my experiences with it as a phenomena. In the last three years, I've had three male friends commit suicide and it's been tricky. There was this level of distance between me and these male friends in my life, but in turn, I loved them all dearly. And I went through a process when each one of them passed away of mourning and I cried and I had typical ceremonies of either by myself or I went to one of their ceremonies with hundreds of people and it was very moving because you know these were young men and I reflected on something that somebody said at one of the ceremonies which was that in some way maybe there are some of us on earth that death is a sort of spiritual fulfillment to return back to a source or peace or original consciousness And I reflected on that and for some of us that maybe death comes as a relief in some ways. And I don't know exactly what I make of that. There's been a few quite harsh awakenings in that realm and it sometimes left me feeling a little bit shaky. I mean, there's a massive difference in people who are going to die and that's very different to when someone commits suicide. That's that's another thing because it's so avoidable. Mm. I think that's what gets you. Not like I've ever experienced that. Yeah, that's true. You do hear that, don't you? People that are going to die. There's often quite a sense of acceptance about it. So what's the story? So the story I would tell is the story of a friend who passed away. He was a friend that I did a course with and it was quite a tight-knit group of people that were all friends on the course. I got the call, as it were giving the overview of the fact that a friend of ours had committed suicide on the course. And yeah, it really shook me because there's that classic thing, isn't there? People say, oh, I never knew. I never knew there was a problem. I never knew they were suffering so much. And that was the case for me when I got the call. I was distraught at the time, but I knew I needed some closure. I knew there was going to be a ceremony. This was a person that had lots of friends, but I needed some connection quickly. So I cancelled all my plans that week and drove up to Bristol and I was rattling in my old Nissan Serena people carrier car on the dual carriageway. This is a car that complains when you go at 60 and I was flooring it at 80 the whole way in the fast lane. I think I was crying as I was driving. I was quite reckless. I got this bizarre concentration and adrenaline it was probably going a bit too fast. And it was also really windy and the car rattles from side to side in the best of times. So <laughs> it was quite a dramatic journey. And I got up there and I met some friends who we did the course with. And we had a ceremony on a hill in Bristol. And we lit candles 
It was very beautiful and we cried. And then there was the big ceremony with his family and friends from all over the world that came. And it was very beautiful. It was in this large piece of land. Lots of beautiful words were expressed. A few days later, I was telling my therapist about it. And it helped me understand a little bit more about how I felt about life, I think, through having this tragedy, in a way. It helped me feel I could live again. It was the last session that I had with that therapist. And at the end of the therapy session, my therapist said something to the effect of, go and do that thing, whatever that thing is that you feel you need to do, that or that makes you feel alive, go and do that thing. And I think maybe for the last few years before that point, I'd been probably feeling like I wasn't doing that thing that made me feel alive. And it helped me in that moment commit to life a bit more. Wow, thanks for sharing that. What was that thing then? I thought you were going to ask that. (laughs) It's always been around writing and communicating, but it's also teaching. Teaching young people to connect to nature, for sure, or helping people emotionally. And then writing, writing's been a kind of a tumultuous love of my life. And whether that be through poetry or prose, I find a lot of peace and calm through my writing. So back to the story then, I'm going to break it down into sections. So I'm going to go for the initial here again, the phone call thing. And then this slightly perilous journey in this car that might not be up for it. And then this kind of cathartic nature of the ceremony that takes place. Beautiful. So 
So what are your thoughts on that? Mm. If don't be afraid to tell me if it doesn't work for you. That's like what it's it's yeah. all about. No, it did. It really did. The end there felt like I was on the hill. I was pacing through the story as I told it just then. And actually, I only really got to the bit on the hill with the close-knit group of friends before it ended. But it still had that same that same narrative of the entire journey. It was that cathartic release and that deeper joy to life. And then you got the sense of the journey, the chaotic. I think the movement of the music is important in conveying that sort of thing with yeah. going around the bend. I was imagining it was raining on that journey. Stormy temperament. It's interesting what comes into my mind thinking about each different bit. Because suddenly I thought, oh, fourths, play some fourths here or play some weird arpeggio thing and then play something discordant here. I don't know where this is coming from, but it just arrives as the next instruction, which is to do with the emotion of the story that I'm going through. Do you visualise the story as an image or do you just know the general? Partly, yeah. It's not a very strong image, isn't my visual imagination is not incredible so it will it's bits bits of an image the windscreen wipers the the rev counter being too high the hill in fact i got the sense of the hill i got all that too actually it was very much the car and the hill and then there was a second half to the story wasn't there where it opened up into the larger ceremony with the family and the extended friends and then there was the therapist bit at the end where i found my own personal connection So have you got another story then? Yeah, sure. Okay, so this story is about a 1,000 kilometre hitchhike journey that I made across Europe. And I started off in West Germany and I was doing a work away and I was hanging out with a bunch of cool alternative German people who a few of them just didn't use money. They lived their life nomadically and they went from work away type situations to alternative building things to festivals and they just didn't have any money and two of them were about to have a baby and <laughs> that's gonna change <laughs> i don't know i never saw them again but did you ask how expensive the baby is yeah i did have some questions at the time but i was 19 at the time so i just thought it was all very cool and amazing i met this other guy who i didn't really get such a good vibe of him He was 30-odd, and he also lived with no money. Anyway, I'm hitchhiking to Hungary, and I was like, oh, cool, so am I, because I wanted to go to a festival there. And I basically said, can I come with you? And he was like, yeah. So we started hitchhiking together, and it was rather successful, actually. It only took two days to hitchhike over a 1,000 kilometres. But at some point, I left this guy. We were bin raiding and... I think in some way he was showing me his ways. I remember getting in the car with one German guy and him. And this German guy really didn't like people from the UK. He was saying how the English were like dogs. Anyway, I left those two and ended up hitchhiking with Eastern European truck drivers. And they were a lot more fun because they didn't speak any English and I didn't speak any of their languages. But we ended up drawing pictures communicating in crude sign language but I overshot a country because I said Budapest but he heard Bucharest (laughs) so I ended up in Romania (laughs) and then I had to hitchhike back on myself 
to get to Budapest. Wow. So I had to flap my arms and be like hungry as I saw this, the sign for hungry to disappear behind us. And anyway, yeah, so I left that guy and I managed to hitchhike back on myself. Spent the night in a service station, just the arse end of nowhere. The bit that God just accidentally hiccuped on and it's all just gross and there's just rubbish everywhere. It was a uh, character building. Anytime I sleep outdoors, I'm always really aware of everything, all the sounds. Is that a fox? Is that some axe murderer? What's going on? My senses are just awake. And it was like that, but without any of the nice nature sounds and just the drumming hum of motorway traffic. And the trees were all horrible. I just slept in the bushes there <laughs> with a little one-man coffin tent. It wasn't even a proper tent. It was something that a toddler would bring to a birthday party and then leave because it was so terrible. Anyway, after all, I ended up in Bucharest and Budapest. And I surprised a bunch of my friends that were there. And it was a, a nice memory. And how did you feel when you arrived, when you saw your mate? Oh, yeah, really good. That was elated. They were so happy to see me. And <laughs> it was such a nice thing to surprise them so far from home.
Nice. Hitchhiking again <laughs> and missioning around. And then the bits in between that was me sleeping and me waiting at the side of the road again. Oh God, when are they going to arrive? And then the sort of the service station sleep, that weirdness, that slight paranoia. Yeah, tension. Tried to get the kind of the traffic around everywhere. and Yeah, yeah. Different to the other one. I was watching your hands throughout this one. The other one, I had my eyes closed and I was picturing the thing in my head. But this one, I was really present on watching your hands. And at one point, your hands were really close together and it, they were overlapping. And I felt like there was something about that, of like being in the trees, sleeping in my bed. <laughs> I was thinking kind of road movie, some of the soundtrack, driving, we're on a mission here. Oh, whoops, <laughs> we've overshot a country. <laughs> yeah, and then the end was nice. It felt like the end of every fantasy film or something the way <laughs> yeah. it just ended really beautifully like that so what did you get out of this podcast oh it's cool to see my life in music <laughs> it was kind of like reverse desert island discs instead of me bringing the music and saying here's the story this is what i'm going to play it was the story unfolded after i said it in musical terms A really cool format i liked being able to reflect on those stories made me realize how many different things have happened in my life it's <laughs> <laughs> good and did you feel that you got an insight with the music somehow yeah i did yeah i think having the images alongside that this, the structure of those pieces helped me create them as story arcs more than just these random things that happened to me and now, being able to listen to this back, I think I'll gain an extra level of reflection as well. The way you remember something is since having this experience, do you think that soundtrack will have an influence on that memory? I think it will, actually, especially the first one, because it was the most sad and therefore had the most pull to my memory. And it was also most recent. And yeah, I think it will help me see that as a almost a three part narrative rather than a kind of bundle of sad emotions. That's interesting. The way that I can manipulate your memory in some way, which is a pretty terrifying thought, really, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah, maybe manipulate is too harsh a word. Just collaborate. Yeah, okay. Maybe. <laughs> That's a nice word. How did you find that today? Throwing the questions back at you today, sorry. Yeah. Podcaster on podcaster. <laughs> yeah, quite cathartic. I haven't done a podcast where someone's been so open about death and mm. family and memory which is mm. important for me not making it sad but exploring the emotions and providing an objective point of view musically mm. i think i felt that actually because it would have been easy to dwell in one thing or yeah. but it, it had nuance to it so yeah i appreciate that so thanks very much oscar for being on the podcast it's been really insightful if you want to check out Oscar's podcast, it's called The Nature Deficit Podcast, and it's available on Spotify. Listen to the artists, activists, educators, therapists, movers, and shakers who are creating ripples in our living world. I'll leave a link to Oscar's podcast in the description of this episode. Join us next week for another episode of Impropod. Thanks for listening.